And we're live. Welcome back for yet another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Joe Belcastro, I hope I pronounced that right. You nailed it. You last name, it. yeah. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Here. We're going to let you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers. All right. Well, I am Joe Belcastro. I've been kind of in this writing career for 15 years now. Started as a journalist, then uh, transcended into being a writer uh, behind the camera for WWE. Yes, that's the professional wrestling. I did that for a long time and progressed through the company. Uh, then I had this idea to write a novel. I always wanted to do this subject matter of kind of this good versus evil. And once I found out the premise, I then uh, left my dream job, which was WWE, and embarked on the author career, which I am now just uh, kind of getting into. I'm only a couple years in counting writing the books, and but I, I want to make it. For a while, I want to do this for a few more years. So, in a nutshell, that's my writing career. So, obviously, we won't ask you to say anything bad about WWE because that'd just be unprofessional. So, what I'm going to ask you instead is, who was your favorite on-air talent that you worked with with WWE? Oh, do you have a favorite? I can't answer that because I'm still close with a lot of them. Um, but I will say, so this. there's more than one. Got it. Oh yeah, but I will say this: everybody, believe it or not. Um, I would say 99% of the people I worked with were awesome, true professionals. And this is the talent, the wrestlers. Um, they were great. Never had, never really had an issue. Um, everyone was very respectful, professional, and it was very, it was like, it was like an army going to war every night to put on live television and we all had each other's backs. So uh, everybody's my favorite just because of that. They actually started sending, it was after I got home, so I got home from Iraq in 06, and they actually started sending, um, they started sending teams to do uh, exhibition type matches uh, at various USO tours in Iraq and Afghanistan when I was there. Yes. And some of the stars that went, and I won't take it away from them because they actually went, but they would stay in the safe places like Qatar and Kuwait. The WWE people that went went all over, even some of the smaller fobs that mostly got ignored, and they would put on these shows. There was a viral video that uh, YouTube yanked because it violated their terms of service, they said, where they actually started shelling the base during this event, and they didn't want people to panic. So the wrestlers just shrugged and went back to wrestling like, like nothing had happened. And it was specifically WWE that went, not any of the other. Because I know there's more than one like franchise or whatever. There is. I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, look, we have a we had a mindset of all hands on deck. Uh, you're never, you, you just do what you're supposed to do. And like, if we have a job to do, in this case, it's performing for the troops, and which is a very important thing that we always um, cherished. Um, we did tribute to the troop shows, uh, not just over there, but like every year we had that television show that we did. It was an extra show, bonus show, I guess you want to call it. And we took that very seriously and we didn't care what we had to do. If there was travel issues, we all made sure we got there. And we, it's just, it's just a mindset started from the very top um, from the man who ran WWE and created WWE and it just trickled down and we all just bought into it. So um, I'm glad you, you saw that and you realized, you know, the respect and the work ethic that we all bring. 
So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I actually found him through a friend of the show and someone whose uh, Facebook shenanigans I follow, Jonathan <laughs> Yanez, um, who is a uh, is great motivational speaker. If he ever needs a like a side gig and his book stops selling, um, hey, he's yeah. I guess he's friends with you. And so when he did an interview with you about the same book, like your process, because he was speaking more from the writing side, I was like, yeah, we got to have you on the show. Um, and um, Jonathan's good. Like he sends re- regular messages. He's like, have you gone to the gym today? <laughs> Which is always amuses me. I really think that man is part cyborg because there's just no way he has that much energy. There's just not enough coffee in the world. Oh, so speaking of coffee, so we're, he was just in uh, Florida with me. Uh, a couple days ago and he was showing his new he's trying to um he's going to be making a film i'll just say that and we're out walking a new one or is it the same one it's that one he's he's playing festivals right now infinity system but i think uh yeah, yeah. He's, okay. got, he's got he's got the bug for uh some film film projects but uh anyway the point is you bring up the coffee we're walking around uh, between you know festival uh workshops and parties or whatever and he's like i need a coffee so he goes into the coffee shop and i'm with him and i don't really drink coffee and he orders a coffee with a shot of espresso in the coffee i mean that's jonathan young not surprised yeah that's how he rolls so we're just like okay and he handled it fine (laughs) like you couldn't tell he was wired or anything like that i think he's just always on that level and he has such great energy right and he just wants to he want, he just, he's just contagious with that. He wants to spread that around. He is. He is. So before we get too deep into this interview, sir, you have to pass the test. The religion question. Are you ready for this? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Oh, Star Wars. Okay. What is it about Star Wars that speaks to you? That just has a natural, easy way of saying, hey, look, there's good, there's evil, and you can tap into something more than yourself. And I think at the, that's pretty much what religion is, whether people want to believe it or not. It's just having this mindset of like, either be moral or don't be moral. But either way, you can tap into an energy no matter what side you choose. And I think that's kind of, even though they made it fun and an adventurous in a story, like it's kind of true all around. Okay. So you like the bigger message of, uh, of Star Wars. I can see that. And because we're polytheistic over here at the Blasters and Blaze podcast, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Conan the Barbarian? Ooh, Conan, huh? I didn't expect that. Oh, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going through my memory of Conan the Barbarian right now, but I think I'm going to go with Game of Thrones. So we used to do Lord of the Rings as the third because it's sort of one of the more iconic ones, but he won yeah. every time and it just yeah. seemed like like we needed something to replace it. Game of Thrones is iconic, both the book and the show. The same with, um, you know, Wheel of Time, more so with the book than the show because the show flopped for a lot of people. And so we were trying to find that third to replace Lord of the Rings. And so far we haven't really found it, but you like to work out with uh, with John. So I figured Conan was a good one for you <laughs> as, a, as a third. We're, we're still playing with uh, another equally iconic fantasy property. No, man, you got to workshop it out. I get that. It's cool. Um, well, the we had several years to get the sci-fi right, because before we were Blasters and Blades, we were the sci-fi shenanigans, and we only did sci-fi books. 
And so this is year three of, of branching out. And we, you know, it took three years to get it right on the first question. So we've got another probably year before people are going to start looking at us funny if we don't get this right. Amen. So, all right. Uh, we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast love both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Ooh, I would have to probably go with sci-fi because I think going back to Star Wars, just that's the first experience of anything like that. Like out of this world over the top was Star Wars. Um, when I was such a kid, I remember um, this will tell you my age without saying my age, but I remember my sister and I used to get around the record player and listen to the Star Wars albums that would actually go through the, you know, the audio. It's pretty much like an audio book and it had all the sound effects back then. And so, yeah, that was my, it was definitely Star Wars. Um, not, nothing else. I think after that, maybe E.T., then The Last Starfighter. Uh, that movie was on a ton. Ooh, Last Starfighter. Yeah, I remember that all the time on like HBO. Uh, Channel 2 on that little box we used to hit. We used to hit that was attached to your TV. Yeah. But yeah. I remember I would go to the arcade. We had one, a Flipper McCoy's, not too, like a mile down the street, and would walk to it because uh mom didn't have time to drive us all the time so we get on our bicycle or we'd walk to the arcade with you know all the quarters we could scrounge up and the line to the ones that were like the space shoot after star uh, the last starfighter came out got crazy long because we all secretly hoped <laughs> they did call us up right yeah man. that was the, that was an iconic movie uh that was before you know you didn't have to put any more quarters and you could just sit on your couch i mean at least <laughs> when we went to the arcade we got two miles of exercise out of it oh yeah I so mean, are, are, those are popping back up though now arcades you notice that in my time, really oh there's there's barcades all around tampa bay oh yeah david busters okay yeah that, those are popping up well the, there's that but then, like there's the old school like there's a one literally it's a 90s theme bar two miles away from me and it has like all the old school games um the, nice. taxi, the taxi game where you just you stand up, you're driving a taxi, and you're picking up people, and you're driving like a maniac. It's like the original Grand Theft Auto before it was Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> uh, have you seen the movie The Fifth Element? Yeah, it's been a little bit, but I've seen it the, a few times. Yeah. The, the, the opening scene where Dallas Corbin is driving a cab, if I ever drive a cab, that's how I want to do it. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love so much? You know, it's all about that what if factor, right? And I don't really, I don't think like when I was growing up and being exposed to, you know, whatever it was through video games or comic books or movies uh, or books, like, you know, you don't know that you're reading, you know, you're reading fiction, but you don't know like how real or realistic or if they're pulling from something that's actually historic or true. And then as you grow into it, you start to realize, you know, when spoilers started to become a thing in the internet, um, you know, around, you know, 99, 2000, when everything was just starting to get out there, like, then you start to realize, oh, this was based on a true story. Like, for instance, the Blair Witch, some, there's a good portion of the audience of the Blair Witch had no idea that was not just a marketing gimmick, like the found footage gimmick, right? Because no one really did it. And there wasn't that like space in the world, like a lot of people are walking out of the theater like, I can't believe that really happened. They showed it on the screen. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's just a made up story. And somebody like just took an idea and ran with it and, you know, manipulated it. And that's kind of like what, because it's based on a true story. They just 
you know, hammed it up or embellished or whatever they had to do to make a cool little ride for people to watch. And I just like that with stories. I know now we're surrounded with it, right? Like Marvel, the king of all entertainment in some people's minds, uh, they have a whole brand called What If, where it's just like, yeah, like let's just speculate if Iron Man was bad or something like that, you know? Um, so I don't know, like that whole world where you can just kind of do something that's true, but then like make it fantastical or fictionalize it a little bit. It's just fun and refreshing. And I think I like going down those rabbit holes. Okay. So how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you creating content in that space? Because before you wrote novels, you were creating content. So how did that transition from, okay, I'm a journalist, I'm making money off words to a creative? Like, how did that happen? Well, so part of my big part of my journalism game was I was a film critic and I was the, you know, I, I say this as humbly as I can make it sound, but I was an accredited film critic, meaning I, I was recognized by the studios that gave us, gave me press screenings in my area um, with other journalists as well at the time. And there's like, I think 26 maybe recognized uh, critic associations. And maybe, you know, we get all the award screeners at the end of the year for like the Oscars and stuff like that. We don't vote on the Oscars, but we get, um, you know, the same screeners to send in our votes. And it's just kind of used as marketing material. Hey, the Florida film critics voted for this, right? So I was always exposed to that kind of stuff. And where it went from there is just um, being around all that creativeness. I always wanted to be part of WWE, believe it or not, and write those storylines. And then I got the call and took it and ran with it. And then from there, it just kind of morphed into like, all right, I'm in the storytelling world and we can do it kind of whatever we want. Um, even though it's in like a wrestling arena and they're limited to like the scope to a certain degree. But I was like, wait a minute, I could branch out and where do I want to do that? Do I want to do movies? Do I want to do TV? Or it's like, or I really want to test myself and just really put something out there that no one's ever seen to a certain degree. So that's where the novels came in and I just kind of jumped at it and boom, like I have all this open world, you know, like video games today. Like I can't wait for that new Zelda game to come out because it's just this open world where you can do anything you want. Right. And I tried to make my book like, okay, it's going to sound like other, you know, it's going to follow some patterns that we all know in storytelling, but I want to create something like that's never been told on a, using a foundation that's well-established. And in this case, my premise, you know, or I think we're gonna get to it, but my premise was the devil banishing God from heaven. And how do I turn that into a urban fantasy, more like adventurous, you know, maybe a little bit like Lord of the Rings, but not that so much. But not that so much. Okay. So many authors let their own real life experiences influence the ways they tell stories. So do you think there are any specific moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Hmm. You know, you, you obviously pull from people you might've crossed paths with over in, in life. Like some of the characters, and I say, uh, I've said in other interviews, maybe that, uh, that a lot of the characters in the book dominate some of them are me and none of them are me. Uh, 
And what does that mean? It's me covering my ass. So I don't get, uh, in case a character says something, I don't get in trouble for it, right? Because it's just a fictional character that said it. But no, I think like you remember moments in your life. I, I specifically wrote about something that happened in college. And I'm like, I applied it to the story. And um, so like there's moments like that. But overall, I don't, I don't have to fully draw from that if they just naturally pop up like, Oh, if this character is kind of doing like a, they're in their own head and they're remembering something from the past, maybe I stumble upon something from my past that might fit into that. But I don't force that. I, I kind of try to do things that are fresh um, just because I like, it keeps me interested, really. Like if I want to tell my life story, I'll write about my life story one day. But I like to just kind of invent new things when I, most of the time. Even when you draw from people you know, though, like you're not, you're taking an idea of what you sort of encapsulate them in summary, and then you're applying it, that flat concept to a rounded character in a story. So even if it's inspired by someone, it's never a direct replica. So like you said, you don't want people to think, oh, that fictional character is my real thoughts. Like you've got to do that when you let your friends inspire you too, because like you're taking the parts that you like that you found the most interesting and then you're adding to it. So it becomes yeah. more than they were. Cause even yeah. if you're honoring someone, you might have that character do something that wasn't nice. Like, you know, kick a puppy or something on their worst day. And like, no, no, you gotta be careful. Like, no, no, Bob really didn't kick puppies. I promise. Um, so yeah, I, I can <laughs> see right. that like that, that need for a caveat. So yeah. transitioning away from, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Okay. So let's transition away from the writing side and talk about things from a fan angle. So have you gotten any cool fan art or had anybody cosplay your stuff yet? Not so much with Dominature yet because it's still relatively new and still getting out there. Uh, wrestling, yeah, WWE. <laughs> um, that's that's happened um, because, you know, I, I was pretty quiet about myself, but um, – I didn't really put myself out there. I don't, I'm not really big into social media, uh, but now I have to be. So yeah, like some people found out what I did and realized I was behind the scenes coming up with whatever storyline. So yeah, there's some weird interactions like that where you see people fanboy out, if you will, for WWE. But for the book, not yet. Um, I think a lot of people are still kind of, people are starting to, like reviews are starting to just pop up now. So people are starting to read it. So if I do go back out like on a, book tour because I did that a few times uh, last year and that was fun. So if I go back out again, I'm going to maybe a couple places this summer and one in November, I know for sure. Maybe I'll see it. But yeah, people like ask me to sign. I mean, I do speaking engagements at certain places every now and then and like they'll know my background from WWE, but then I also realize the book. So like I've signed a lot of books, which is it's kind of like on uh, what's the word like imposter syndrome sometimes. Because it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really not like a best-selling author yet. <laughs> I feel weird signing a book, but hey, I get it. Maybe you're invested. It's like collecting baseball or basketball cards, right? You grab them, you might, one day they might be worth a lot, you know, if it takes off. So that's kind of how I justified in my head. These kind of, these people are trying to just buy a penny stock and maybe it'll be just blow up. Maybe it'll be just blow up, you know, one day. Yeah. So do you remember the very first time someone asked you for your autograph? Ooh, the first time, I think it was actually, uh, it was WWE related. Um, 
I was walking out of arena. I don't remember exactly what city I was in, but uh, I was part of a brand called NXT. And it was like, it was like a moment in time where like, it was really the, the one of the people thought was like the best brand going out of all the brands of wrestling. Uh, so we had a little moment in time there. And I think it got out that I was on the writing team and one of the key people helping out. And so somebody actually recognized me. And I think they asked me for my autograph and I was, so used to not i was the one that could just walk in the hotels walk to the car walk in the airport no problem we, like all the wrestlers would get hounded right uh and they had amazing patience dealing with fans but yeah i think it was it was one of those times probably uh god this was probably like 2017 that was the first time i actually i think i got my autograph from like something i did in the writing world nice yeah i would imagine that people that aren't um appreciative of their fans in that way probably don't last very long because like yeah ultimately if you spit on the customers often enough they're gonna stop buying your product you're right and i was just talking with uh i like social media look i i could rant on social media forever and i think you could too jr but we won't but here i'll say this uh like when people for instance, like when I used to let my people, everybody know my birthday and they all post on your Facebook wall, happy birthday, right? Instead of just like doing a blanket message the next day, like I would actually take the time and respond to everyone with words, not an emoji, not a like button, like legit words. And I was just talking about this with, uh, you know, we mentioned him earlier, Jonathan. I was like, he's like, hey, I know you don't want to be on all the social media. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? If everybody interacts with me on like my Facebook group page, uh, righteous and wicked plug for me um i would i'm going to respond and i because i agree with you like it's how hard is it just to sit there and maybe knock out a few thank yous you know or with a name like hey thank you jr or hey cool to hear um so and so it's not hard it doesn't harm anything i mean if it, it, it's just it's just etiquette right I think what you end up having to doing is what a lot of authors I know, because you've got to limit your time on social media because it can become a time suck. Yep. But you want to engage with where your fans are, which is why you sort of consolidate people into a few different groups that you're active in. And then you can just engage with the post there without having to scroll the whole thing. Because you can get like your uh, missed messages or whatever that call, the little icon is called on Facebook, for instance. If you let yourself, you could waste hours trying to catch up on that. That's you know, very, it's a good point. Um, so I, 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 I think it's it's about balance, you know. Absolutely, yeah. You said it right there, balance. Yes. I started tracking my time for uh, how many words I get a day on writing, and then I was tracking my time for non-writing things that were business related, to include social media based on my average word count per hour. So I could basically track how many hours I was spent doing non-writing things. And now I'm like, okay, I got to consciously keep that number down because, you know, obviously none of that matters if you don't have books to sell, right? So I get it can be a, a balance. But do you so mentioned, go ahead. I had a question like, how many, I'm just curious, like, how many words, like, when I sit down to write, uh, I try to hit at least a thousand words minimum in a, in a day. Uh, maybe I get more, maybe I don't. Do What do you try to do? Uh, I go for about 2,000 a day. Um, I write pretty clean, so I, I could probably write more but because I dictate and then clean it up. 
by just dictating and not taking the time to clean it up. But then sometimes I come back the next day. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I was trying to say. So for me, it's, you know, I'll, I'll dictate, you know, five minutes ish, get maybe 600 words. And then it becomes about a thousand when I massage it. So, but I, I have to uh, work my process around the brain damage. So like, I've just got to make it work. Um, Okay. I, I envy people that are getting like the five to 10,000 words a day. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, I was talking to Jonathan about this. I work twice as hard to get half as much as the average writer at, who's in my place, like where I am, like with the number of books out. But the flip side of that is if you don't exercise your brain, it, it'll rot. So why not? Right. Like there are, at least I'm not doing drugs. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There you go. So. That's the same every bookaholic I've ever met who's like, just spent another thousand dollars on books. Like it could have been drugs. Could have been drugs. I know. <laughs> uh, see, if you're in the listening audience, I hear you. I get it. I, I buy way more books than I have time to read too. The world could shut down tomorrow and I'd not run out of books for probably about five years. Assuming wow. power held on my electronic devices. Man. Well, because you get those sales, it's like, oh, it's only 99 cents. Let me just buy it. And then you never get around to reading it, which when I realized that is when I realized that my sales numbers for book one, while the number of sales was impressive, because it was 99 cents, I realized probably most of those people never actually read the book. That's that I is buy a, books like that, you know? Yeah, that's a scary thing, right? You don't know if they'll ever read. Like I, I told, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying during this week where I'm running promotions or whatnot, they're like, How's your sales doing? I'm like, I don't want to even really look. Um, I'll look later, but right now I don't. I'm not living or dying on it because I just want. I rather see like in a few weeks if people read it and there's feedback. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. But uh, you're right. Like I mean, people are. You know, I'm a completist too. Like if I buy a lot of books, it drives me. I get anxiety because I'm like, I have to finish these. <laughs> like that's I couldn't do that. I'd have to I buy one book at a time if I'm gonna read and I don't look at anything else until I finish that book. Uh just because I so can't I, have a stack. I try to guard my money. So if I see a book that I think I really actually probably like this book, it's normally $4.99, but it's 99 cents on sale today. Let me go ahead and get it because eventually I'll have saved four dollars. That's the justification I tell myself. Yeah. Nice. So I buy like, well, I used to, I, I had to tighten the pennies with the economy as it is, but like, I get it. So when I first heard the, oh, you sold 10,000 copies of your first book, I'm like, oh, that's impressive. And then I realized probably 9,000 of those people never read it. <laughs> they were just like, oh, combat veteran wrote his therapy here. Let me support him. And then they never cracked the book. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's where book two sales are going to be what shows you because that's going to be your read through like how many people bought yeah. read book one and yeah. read book two no matter what the sales for book one are book two is going to give you your baseline which is also already out so we're good <laughs> so have you ever spotted anybody out in public reading um your books no not yet uh I, I actually I do think about that. Like, what would I do if I do see it? Am I, would I say, "Hey, I'm that I'm the author." <laughs> I don't know if I would do it or not, or if I just walk by and say, "Whatever." The least they're reading it, right? Um, so no, not there, yet. Though. There are some authors that some authors will do the opposite and go up and like trash the book and make their fans defend their book to them, not realizing it's them. I want to oh, say it was like Larry Correa who said he did that in an airport. It's like, oh, that guy's a hack. Why are you reading him? And then they'd be like, and if it's not Larry, whoever it was, it was somebody on this podcast that we interviewed was mentioning they did that. I'm just like, I don't know if I'm that ballsy. Like that's I might just idea. be like, eh. That's a good idea. I like that, man. That's cool. I'm going to do that. Actually. 
because everyone reads ebooks it's it's like back in the day there would be the dust jacket don't have your image on the back right mm-hmm. um but now that you know books medium has changed to mostly ebook i think something like 90% of the book market is now ebook so people tend to stop when they eat the last page they're not looking at the back content so even if you put your picture back there most of them will never see it so you could get away with that now in ways you probably couldn't have 10 years ago true amazing how much the market has changed in just that short time yeah i'm learning learning all all about it so obviously you haven't had as much interaction on the book side because you're you're new at this but what's the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with um fans since you started being creative so that'll let you include your wwe stuff okay uh so actually i do have one with a book because i like i mentioned i did go on a few book festival stops when i was kind of testing this out and getting it out there and I'm at a, I think it was in Orlando. It was like a fanboy expo and I had a table there and I actually did it. I don't, this was just completely random. I didn't expect this, but like there was actually other wrestlers there too with tables. So that was kind of fun. It's like a little catch up, but uh, yeah, I'm sitting there and this guy walks up to me and he, look, he's fine. He has a smile on his face and uh, he's looking at my banners and my banners are basically my book cover, but you know, on the top it says, what if the devil banished God from heaven, the subtitle or the, in the, you know, the hook line. Right. And so he goes, looks right at me. He's looking at the book a little bit and he's, he goes, can you pray with me? And I go pray with you right in the middle of the convention. I'm right in the middle too. That's where they had me set up. And uh, he's like, yeah, can we just take a knee and pray together right now? And I said, well, you know what? You can kneel and you can pray for me and I'll just remain standing. Uh, but I'm not going to kneel with you. And he kneeled down. He said some prayers for me. And then he was very curious. Uh, he asked me a lot of personal questions. And I'm not, wasn't thrown off by this, but I was like, this guy's really going all in. And he was just so curious about how re- like am I religious? And here's the here's the thing. Even though I have a premise of devil banishing God, it's not a religious book where I'm hitting you over the head with you know theology. Uh, I twist a moment in time in you know something biblical, and there's some deep thoughts. There's some social commentary, but it's not a religious book by any means. I just found an idea to take a premise and I can kind of twist around and turn it into something else, as you'll see in the sequels. But uh, that's the weirdest time. Like this guy literally kneeled down, asked to pray for me. Um, other than that, in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, Bible Belt capital of the world, you can bet <laughs> that people were walking by and not. Um, I got a lot of dirty looks. And, you know, a lot of people told me uh, they came to my table. They would put their hand on their table and be like, you know, this can never happen. I said, what's that? Uh, the devil beating God. I'm like, well, first of all, I didn't tell you who wins on the cover at all. And second of all, um, it's fiction. But forget about it. Like I had enough. uh, There was an older crowd at this particular festival. So I got a lot of dirty looks, a lot of uh, comments like, oh, Satan touched you. And, you know, I won't tell you my response to that, but I had some sarcasm. I was thrown back at them. But then I also realized they're all probably carrying guns in Jackson, Mississippi. So I should probably just shut my mouth and take it. And that's what I ended up doing. For the rest of the <laughs> <laughs> the 
Um, yeah, I mean, at least the first guy was respectful. Like, I can yeah. respect anyone's sincerely yeah. held religious beliefs. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. So that that's that's fair. So um, I, I know, I don't know if what, what uh, wrestling group he was with. But, yeah, I get the fandom around that. Because I remember I grew up watching um, uh, Hulk, oh, John a Blank on the guy that was the Hulk, uh, Sergeant Hulk. Oh, Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter, there we go. I could picture his face, but like I, so one of the times we posted something and he liked our post on Twitter. I was like, oh my God. I actually, I called my sisters and I'm like, guess who just liked this post about our podcast? Which was kind of cool because he follows a lot of veteran stuff and then just like, you know, engages with it. So I, I get the the fandom there that you're dealing with. Oh, um, and and let me just say, Sarge is. Uh, I mean, if if we crossed paths, I don't know if you remember me because he did a couple of guest spots on the show over the years, and I did work with him on those guest spots. But he was the nicest, sweetest man, um, just very respectful. So happy, just like, hey, I can't believe you guys still want me to just do a guest appearance on the show. Um, always a smile on the face, no ego at all, uh, just a true gentleman. Um, so. That's that's great that he uh, supports you know the veterans and still like he lives a gimmick to a certain extent. Yeah, uh, I don't know his history to know whether he actually served or not, but I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, so I figure we get enough bad news about celebrities. It's nice to see when they're doing nice things. They should get talked about, you know. Oh yes, um, totally. The 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 newspaper rags tend to only want to the salacious, and so like when you hear about people doing humane things and, you know, using their power as it were for good. Like I'm, I'm like, Hey, let's, let's give that credit. Maybe if we do that, we'll get more of it. So, all right. So this is the, this is the part of the introduction, Joe, where we talk about everything you have written. Uh, You can include outside of just the, the recent novelizations you're engaging in, but what is your, uh, your catalog of works look like right now? Well, look, I don't know where all my journalism stuff went. I wrote for a lot of, I wrote from everything from like newspapers to, you know, dot coms and sites all over the place. But so I don't know where those all live. Uh, all my wrestling stuff, I mean, I guess you could go, they are now on, I think they're on Peacock, that app, Universal, NBCU. Uh, I believe they, if you ever want to see any of the shows I might have been a part of, uh, uh, creatively I contributed to, uh, it's probably there. And then, um, you know, obviously the novel's out now and like my website, joebelcastro.com is kind of geared towards that mainly. It does give a little bit of a timeline history, but here's something I didn't put on there. And this ends, it's relevant to your question. I actually, uh, played in some local bands and I wrote the music. We played all original stuff. And so part of my writing career, even though it was probably my least monetarily successful side of my career, uh, I did play in some bands through the years. Uh, started in college and uh, did we did some you know local shows there. And then the same thing when I moved to, uh, to Tampa, I found myself in a little band and we played some, wrote our own stuff and played some little, a lot of festivals actually, local festivals around here we played. And uh, that is still my, believe it or not, that's my favorite form of writing is writing music, like lyrics, um, getting on, I just got a piano a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, I should say, 
And I just been sitting there playing, trying to learn how to play dream on, on the piano. So I find myself, you know, sometimes like ah, I should be writing, you know, books. I'm on book three right now of the series. And I, I find myself, you know, two hours just sitting on my keyboard, just playing around. And then I sing myself writing lyrics, but I still have to handwrite the lyrics. I don't type them out. So that that's um, that's all of it. That's kind of everything I write. Um, <laughs> music you won't find anywhere unless you know some people, I think. <laughs> Everyone's got to start somewhere. Well, yeah. all right. All of that sounds fascinating. But uh, before we dive into the book that brought us here, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. Uh, and that's uh, you this time, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Here comes your next romp in the graveyard. In Hunters for Hire, a new urban fantasy adventure by best-selling author Jonathan Yanez. A guy down on his luck puts sign twirling and rideshare driving on the back burner to track down the supernatural for a pretty penny. Find out what happens when John Hunter enters the secret underworld. Download your copy and start listening today. Now available on Amazon and Audible. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. But uh, let's dive in to the book that brought us here. So speaking of uh, Dominatur, where did the premise for this universe come from? Was it uh, psychedelics, Ouija board, uh, <laughs> overindulging in, I don't know, whatever the craft services tray had that day? <laughs> you know what? Uh, I was at, I was still working at WB when it happened, the idea that is. And I, I'm not into drugs, but I do like to drink absinthe. So maybe there was some remnants of absinthe in my mind, but I've always had this idea like one day and I found an article I wrote during journalism life. It was back in 2012. I wrote it and it was again, like kind of like the speculative column that I used to write. I wish they make a movie about blah, 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 blah. Right. I'd spit something out. And I actually wrote one like, I want this epic God versus the devil movie. Cause I like those movies, like the prophecy, and you know devil's advocate and constantine but like they never lean into the devil and god like they're just part of the story but they're not in the story and there's never that big final battle right it's just part of the plan um a step in the step on the staircase so to speak and so i'm sitting on my balcony um and this is i remember this is almost actually uh three years ago to the day and I was just sitting out there. I was playing this band called the 69 Eyes. There's this like goth metal band from Finland that I'm a big fan of. And the song came on and I'm trying to like think like, God, ah, I'm really got this, you know, itch to write this story. I just don't know what it is. And then um, I was like singing along, but like screwing up the lyrics and something came out like, oh, heaven, Satan's soul. And I'm like, heaven, Satan's soul. And I'm like, wait a minute what if I switch this around and I could do an alt history angle and like, dude, what if the devil banished God from heaven? And then I ran in from my balcony, picked up my notebook. I outlined the story that weekend. I sat on it for about two weeks. I had to go to do TV for WWE, came back home, read it over again. I'm like, all right, I have something. I convinced myself that I could do this story. Um, so there was really no drugs or psychedelics. Like I said, I do like to drink absinthe, but I didn't drink any that year. I remember that for a fact. So, and once that hit me, I just went with it. So it was just literally from a, 
always in my mind like i want to see that on the screen one day but instead of just writing a movie or a tv show i was like let me go tackle a, a novel and let me try to bring it to life and then maybe someday somebody will buy it and adapt it and then bring it onto the screen <clears throat> i'm just saying if if you've seen supernatural where the devil had to take a human host i'm just saying if the devil needs a human host i know who she is oh, yeah. throw that out there for you for your story her name's gail berman if you're a, if you're a firefly nerd you know who she is she's the woman that canceled it <laughs> oh. she can be the devil's host not that i'm still salty or anything no not at all it doesn't show but uh i never wa i know this is going to sound weird but i also kind of this is just how i work like i've never watched supernatural i've never watched lucifer and i'm glad i didn't because i don't want anything to influence me that's already been done i did search the world before uh, the world being Google and any IP property. I even used my connections um, in legal in certain places. And I said, <clears throat> did anybody ever do the devil banishing God? Like, did anybody ever switch it around? And I, there's nothing. And I've even, even when I've spoken to agents and studio people about this, you know, trying to go the traditional route of publishing, they, uh, no one, everyone, everyone, someone say like, I've never heard this. You have something that no one's ever done. Whether they like it, that's another story in terms of how I, you know, spit it all out over three books. But um, yeah, I, I just don't watch, like right now, I won't watch anything until I finish the trilogy that's related to like that. Like if Constantine Toon comes out between now and, you know, if I finish the third book, I won't watch it until <coughs> I know the third book. I get that. Um, that may, like, I, I get the fear. Like, I don't worry about it because, you know, as they say, um, <clears throat> fans borrow and, and professionals steal or whatever that quote is. Like, I get, like, you, you get ideas from everywhere. Um, that's the famous experiment where you gave, like, three different authors the same outline and they came up with different books because mm -hmm. it's not just the idea, it's the execution. Um, and so like, I, I, but I get the fear if, if you know yourself, but every time I know people are like, Oh, trad pub didn't want it. Keep in mind, trad pub also turned down JK Rowling and look what the mistake that, uh, that publishing house is probably kicking themselves. Cause she made the one that signed her a lot of money. Oh yeah. Totally. Uh, I, I think sometimes some ideas are, are niche by their standards because their overhead is so high. Like, you know, New York city rent and all that, that, you know, we would consider as indies. I'm like, wait, that's it like no 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 that's a lot what are you talking about you could pay your car payment twice that month um so i think i think having the low overhead and being like hungry and indie can can give you flexibility um I, I, so i don't know that i would judge against the fact that they didn't want it <laughs> it gives you more creative freedom i agree so, I'm, I'm with that. you have some you know good versus evil overarching themes but obviously execution like we said matters so what would the age range be for this story? Like we have families that listen with their kids to this podcast. So what, what age would be appropriate to read this novel? It's not for kids. Uh, I'll say that, but you know, it's funny. I was trying to think like, what is the age? Cause if you asked me that question 20 years ago, I would have said, you know, everybody, it should be 18 and up. And I think that still might be the answer, but now these like, you know, I think a 16 year old could handle this. Um, it's nothing, you know, it's not graphic or anything like that. There's swear words. Yes. There's death. Yes. 
but it's nothing they don't see every day, like in a PG-13 movie. Uh, that's so it's like very tricky now for me to answer that uh, because they're exposed. Just uh, things have changed. Like what was rated R for us um, is no longer the same level, I guess, uh, as it is today. Like, you know, what was R for us is now PG-13. So but I would say yeah, to the, be safe, <laughs> 18 and up. The Overton window has definitely shifted on what societal norms are. But even regardless of what they were now versus then, like there were people that probably like you, like me, like a lot of the people listening that were precocious readers and were definitely reading things um, outside of what was probably appropriate for their age. Um, yeah, it's it's like you know, rap we, music back then. You know, I, I listened to, you know, gangster rap was kind of hitting uh, their stride with like Dr. Dre and Snoop and Ice Cube. Like I was, I had my hands on that. I was on the basketball court listening to that all the time. And I was definitely not even driving a car yet. Uh, same with like, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses when they came out. They Ooh, were, love me some GNR. Right. And like they were the first band I think I ever heard swear words in. Right. And you're just like, but you're fine. Like it's, it's not a big deal. You don't know that right away. And our parents didn't know any better. They're like, they were raised in a different generation. And we were raised kind of in like a, blending of like we can handle it but let's do it in moderation but now i think it now it's just a different different world altogether with you know you're overexposed and desensitized to a lot of things so i don't know i would put i would i would probably put a parental advisory on my book put it that way yeah i get that although some of what what they said oh it was better back then and then i listened to the lyrics of some of that music. I'm like, do you know what that song was about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Like they weren't as explicit, but. Isn't it great when you can go back and you watch like say Ghostbusters, right? Which is a fam friendly thing. But like, if you listen to some of the jokes, you catch the sexual innuendos that you didn't catch when you were originally watching it. Um, or the music. You know, oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. Like there's things like Bat that. Bat Midler, what exactly was she doing? What exactly was Batman they're doing under that boardwalk? Come on. You know what I mean? Like, it was there if you knew how to listen for it. I wonder if the adults missed it too back then. But that's a that's a whole other podcast. We'll, we'll move back to your book. Yeah. So we're going to show this, this amazing book cover. I'm going to throw that up on the screen. So what is the story behind this, uh, this piece of art? Because originally you had a different cover. I've seen mock-ups on it yeah. on your website and uh, yeah. online. Yeah, so... You know, I went into this just like I'm gonna figure like this being author world. I'm like I gotta figure some things out on my own. I'm gonna make some mistakes, and then I'm hopefully gonna have time to adjust and do it the right way. It's kind of like you know, just one more band reference. It's kind of like going out playing the dive bars, and then honing your craft. And I, instead of trying to get it perfectly right the first time, I was like, I can go out and do like a soft opening, if you will. But anyway, to the cover, I did have another cover designed. And I liked it, but when I realized, you know, I met other authors like, you know, that have done this well on the indie scene and they said, hey, you're an urban fantasy, your cover needs to look a certain way to catch readers attention. And so I just went completely opposite and I found a new uh, designer and I don't even want to say his name, even though I'd love to give him credit because he's going to do all of them, but I don't want anybody to find out about him. <laughs> so I'm, I don't think I'm going to say his <laughs> name right now. Uh, but it's in the book. If you do buy it, yeah, I give him credit, but like, we just 
we did this so quick. Like as long as I had this image in my head, I'm like, okay, I've heard, I've had some people read the story and they told me like what they thought. Cause I obviously you're too close to it. And so like, this is what this cover should be. And I want to lean more into like showing the symbolism. If you're going to put like the devil banishing God on your cover and your subtitle show what this could be supernaturally rather than just an, you know, it could just be an existential thing. If you didn't have like the hooded figure and the mysterious beings and you like, you see some like supernatural uh, manipulation of the elements. Like there's a planet exploding up top. Uh, what does that all mean? Are, like, are these cosmic beings? Are they, are they the same types of beings we knew about in, you know, Catholicism? And he, I was like, is that too much? He's like, Nope, let me, I got this. And I'm like, all right, put a sword in there too. Cause there's a sword and like, you know, people geek out for swords and uh, fantasy stuff. So we got that, the pitchfork. And it's just like, all right, put in, show the altar history side with like, you know, the Coliseum in the background and like show it's also in the modern times. And then like the background, you see the high rise building and then uh, the cadavers. Yeah. We were trying to make those subtle because sometimes Amazon gets anal and they won't let you do ads because of the cadavers. But I found a way around that too. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's all it is. And like, um, I, I'm happy with it. Everybody who's seen it says this is um, very eye-catching. So it's, that's the gateway. And then there's that free magnet book on my website. Mm -hmm. And he did that cover too. And that's different as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm very pleased. So we will link how... your website. Go ahead. We will link your website in the show notes, dear listener. So it'll be it'll be there. So if you want that free um, sample, the because I know some people are you're leery with new artists or new authors. You worry if they're actually going to finish the series because you've been burnt a lot. I get it. So he's got a free uh, short. Was it a novella or is it a short story? It's a novella. It's it's like forty pages. Okay, so he's got a, a novella for you for free on his website. Just go there, sign up, do your thing. We'll link that in the show notes. But uh, let's move on to the book itself. So what would your 30-second elevator pitch be for this novel? Ooh, embark on an urban fantasy adventure with reimagined divine beings based on the premise of the devil banishing God from heaven, where you'll have an alt history slant throughout the book, and it takes you into a, a world beyond... Um, you know, the story of creation that all religions have said and prophesied to, you know, the masses over the years. How's that? Not that I rehearsed that or anything. That was, <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. So what do you think makes this series special? You know, it, it's tough to answer stuff like that because, all you, you know, everyone's like, oh, you have the hook, right? And I, I say this again without trying to sound arrogant, but like, I know I have a hook. When I tell you, hey, I have a book about the devil banishing God, people are going to at least listen or at least look at it or at least read the back cover. Uh, that I know I have. What makes it special is I wrote it with a cinematic mind, I guess. And I tried to do something. I wasn't trying to do anything different. I don't force, you know, something new or fresh, but like, I don't think, you know, I think people want to visualize more than anything. And I think a lot of authors do it very well. Um, but I was like, I want to bring this like to what 
I know, like I knew television and how we had hundreds of characters on this wrestling show and we each made them unique because they each had their own merchandise. They each had their own time. They had their own segment. And I'm like, I can apply that to this book where I know how to balance everybody out and balance a story out, but I also want to make it cinematic because what drove the relationship to the wrestlers and why WWE has this huge global following is we allowed the characters to be talented and we allowed them to show their skills. So my book is very heavy on dialogue because uh, I want you to be invested in the characters and they each tell a story about something we've all related to. And that's the only thing I was kind of mindful of. I'm like, I want everybody to be able to relate to this. Everyone's used to the same, you know, the hero's journey or the villain that will follow certain, like, you know, story arc or character arc. But I was like, eh, I bet you I can do it differently. And the only thing that's really unique is like, I'm focusing on God and the, my quote, my version of God and the devil. They're the stars of the story. Um, they're the ones driving it. It's not their side. They're not side players. So I guess, I don't know if that makes it special, but it definitely, I think makes it unique in terms of some of the subject matter and how I, how I stage these divine beings, how they get the God and devil title, which isn't giving anything away, but then how it progresses because, um, I take the story actually, um, you know, a little bit into the future. I won't say too much into the future because it's, but it's just unique in terms of all, I'm, I'm going to create an alt history that we haven't even lived yet, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. So which tropes do you feel like you use the best in Dominatrix? <laughs> One of my best friends said, I use all of them. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I, I uh, let me ask you this. What's some of your favorite, what's a, what's one of your, some of your favorite tropes? Um, it's part trope, part uh, archetype, but I like the everyman. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I, I like reading about, like, it's, it's cool to read about superheroes, but one of the reasons Batman is popular is because other than the fact that he's stinking filthy rich, like he could have been any one of us. He, he wasn't special in that he didn't have super special powers. He had gadgets. You know, so I, I like reading about like the every man. It's what I write when I write the military science fiction. It's it's I think people relate to the idea of it could be them. It's one of the reasons that uh, 343 Studios opted never to show you Master Chief's face. Oh. Helmet on in the games because they want to be able to visualize it as you. Yeah, I mean, so it wasn't until later on in the franchise when you saw some of the videos of him as a child in the in the movies that you see you know anything about him no i'm with you there so like we, we brought up the batman thing and i don't know if it's necessarily the trope but it is kind of the idea i took like i love christopher nolan's dark knight and what i like about that is yeah. he took the superhero genre and he grounded it in reality to a certain extent but it still felt like over the top larger than life characters and that's what i tried that i did apply that to dominature so it's not so like, and like, it's like also like the horror movie thing. Like everyone's like, oh, a horror movie, people are gonna make silly mistakes or not acknowledge the obvious. I'm like, no, we're gonna acknowledge the obvious and we're not gonna have the easy choices just to make the story flow like every other story we've seen. I, went, I made it difficult on myself 
to write it. And I think that's what I love about Christopher Nolan. I know we're talking about a film director and I'm an author, uh, but that's kind of my mindset when I approach books. I'm a director and Christopher Nolan challenges himself with his scripts because they're not easy to shoot and do. And that ranges from everything from Dark Knight to Inception to Tenet, because I still don't know what the hell Tenet was about. Um, but like, that's what I try. I don't try to confuse anybody, but I'm going to challenge them uh, at certain chapters for sure. Okay. So what um, genres or subgenres does this story fit best into? Because I don't know if good versus evil is a genre or subgenre or even religion is. So where do you feel like this novel fits? I mean, it's definitely good versus evil. Um, there's that. I mean, there's a religious section only because I do the alt history at a certain period of time that everybody knows the story about. Um, but I just turn it upside down, essentially. But other than like that, you know, look, the subgenre alt history is obviously a layup. Um, there's it's like some people said, oh, they felt like they got a little sword and sorcery out of it, which I can un understand because like there's more sci-fi in my mind, but like the powers that I give, quote, these divine beings or cosmic beings, however you want to define them, uh, it lends itself to a little bit of like the sorcery stuff. It's just, again, grounded in reality. It's not Harry Potter magic. It's not, um, you know, uh, I'm blanking on another, trying to think of like a rated R fantasy that, you know, it's, it's escaping me though. Uh, maybe like The Witcher. Uh, it's not to that level, but there is some elemental manipulation. And there is obviously a sword uh, that is woven through the story. So I guess the sword and sorcery subgenre could fit that question or answer that question. Okay. And now let's talk about the story itself. What can you tell us about the main character or characters if there's more than one? What makes them unique? Well, I, I think I might have touched on it a little bit earlier. Like, you know, the two quote the God and devil character. Uh, they're not the God and devil character that we all know. I, 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 that's all I can say. Um, but they drive the story. Again, I'll just reinforce that. Like they are the ones at the forefront and they're different and they're relatable, but they're also still i still make sure they have that uh cachet of being or the gravitas of being above everybody and to a certain extent but what you'll learn is that and i think it's a social commentary thing i like to explore how human history has evolved because i do jump to a couple time periods uh, a lot of this is in the modern day present day but there are some time periods where I linger just to do the alt history thing. And we, um, the story will kind of show you like how much we haven't evolved as a species. Technology has evolved for sure. But in terms of like how we handle things or new things, we're, we're still the same. And I, it's because I did a ton of research on every time period. And there's more time periods in the sequel, um, which is on pre-order right now. And it'll come out in July. But that has a ton of that is more of a true alt history um feeling where i explored more time periods 
And I do a ton of research on these periods. Like, cause I use familiar characters that we know. Um, and then I invent some characters as well to help complement that and interact with the, the known and the unknown, if you will. Okay. So were there any secondary characters then that were especially memorable to you that weren't uh, God and the devil? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's always, there's one. So most, when I lay, lay out a, a book or I outline it, I usually keep most of my stuff and I have a lot of it set. It's very rare. Like I think once per book I've had, so there's three books in this and I'm on the third right now. Once per book I've had like that, you know, Eureka moment, like, Oh, I got to do this. Right. And so in this book, the first one, Dominator, Devil Banishing God, I, uh, I came up with a character halfway through because I got to a sp spot just about halfway in the book. I was like, oh, you know what I need here? I need a certain character that can do this and has these traits. And that character that gets introduced halfway through end up becoming my favorite character to the point where I don't like to force things, like I said earlier. Um, but like in this, I was like, I want to give him like, I want to make sure he can be used in every book. <laughs> like, um, I like writing for that character so much. And uh, I don't want to say who, he, I don't know if I should say who he is, but um, he shows a pathway and then he's a prominent main character. He's a prominent main character. Uh, through the rest of the story. I'll just say that. So because you mentioned God and the devil, do you have angels and demons as part of this, uh, the lore in this world? No, uh, not, not really. I uh, like, so I'm not the Constantine. I don't err on the Constantine side where there is like, you know, demons and angels and like all those movies I mentioned earlier, like the prophecy and stuff like that. There's, there is a subset of divine beings below God and the devil. Um, I'll say they, you know, they, they're, they're familiar, but um, their genesis is not, you know, they're not like, oh, we made angels. No, like they earn that label through um, based on choices that the quote God character and devil character make. And I can actually say who the God and devil character are because they're on the back of the damn book. <laughs> I just realized that. But uh, Adonai and Hillel, um, one of, like, I'm not going to tell you which one's a God or which one's a devil, but Adonai Hillel are the main characters, um, divine cosmic characters that start this journey. And then the choices they make lend themselves to certain things happening. But there is a... There is a subset of divine beings loyal to them. Uh, and that's not giving okay. too much away. So does your character have bad guys that they have to confront? I mean, you would assume the devil is the bad guy, but you've spun enough on its head that I'm going to try to keep an open mind and see. I mean, Supernatural pretty much had the angels almost as bad as the devils. So really, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, the angels were jerks. I'm like, this is the team you want. We're supposed to fight for. Like, pass next, please. They kind of did that in a. Uh, I broke down, even though I said I don't like to watch anything, but I, I had to watch Good Omens, uh, not too long ago, and that was like you know Neil Neil Gaiman's like a, you know got that quirky sense of humor about uh, angels and demons, right, and creation, 
between God and the devil. But I was just curious about it. I heard enough about it. I got to make sure I'm not doing anything that he's maybe already done. And thankfully I haven't. But uh, yeah, the angels are kind of, you know, they're not the wholesome people you think they are. But uh, what was your question again in terms of do I so have bad guys? What you talk about? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, look, there's obviously, it depends who you view as bad. That's the thing. And that's something I kind of explore in an ex existential way. Like, everyone has motivations, but it's kind of clear who you're rooting for. Like, I, I, I don't put it so much in a gray area. Like, you should be rooting for a certain person. They're positioned as that protagonist. But there's a lot of... Um, backstory and conjecture or whatever you want to call it that uh you could technically be rooting for the people that you might deem evil because their evil because per, per, their perspective could be uh something a lot of people relate to and so i do play that kind of battle with your mind in terms of moral and morality Okay. So speaking of characters, as authors, we do a lot of horrible, nasty, no good, rotten things to the people we write about. So if the characters you wrote about met you in a dark alley and they knew that you were Joe Belcastro, the creator of their torment, how do you see that interaction playing out? Not good. <laughs> Not good at all. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll put it this way. I will die in a very unique way. Uh, they will get very creative and uh, they will, I will be feeling pain. That's for sure. None of my, uh, none of my quote deaths were uh, merciful. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Speaking of characters, uh, do you have a favorite character archetype when you write? Uh, like I mentioned that I like the sort of the everyman approach for archetypes. Do you have one that's a favorite? I like the conflicted villain, I think. Um, I mean, I, I personally like to write, you know, remember uh, when Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix version came out? Uh, yeah. That movie. So I was so nervous to see that movie because it was like, oh no, the Joker, they're going to make, they're going to do something where I feel sympathy for him. And I don't want to feel sympathy for the Joker, right? Because he's this iconic bad guy. Um, and so I won't tell you if they did or didn't for those who haven't seen the movie. But, like, I was concerned, like, you know, I like a villain that just sticks to their guns and they don't have any conflict. Um, I, even though I just said I like a villain, I like to write for a villain that's conflicted because it's fun to take them on that ride. But eventually, at least if I'm penning that person, I like them to stay uh, evil. Like I like some idea of like where people aren't full of redemption. So for instance, sticking with the Joker character, like Jared Leto's Joker in the Snyderverse of uh, the Justice League, I think I could get on board writing that type of character because from what we've seen so far and, you know, the cameos that that character's made, that character is just pure uh, sociopathic evil you know and I, I think that's fun to write because i'd like to think most of us are not evil um we all have a little bit of that in us of course but i like to think we're mostly good so anytime you can tap into 
a darker side, it can be kind of fun. It really can. I, I can see what you mean. Like, I think writing realistic villains that aren't just mustache twirlers, like in some genres, the mustache twirling villain that's just evil for evil's sake, there's room for that. Like, if yep. you're looking for that level of, yep. you know, ridiculousness. But it's, uh, I used to listen to a libertarian talk show before the, before he retired. Uh, I was uh, on the AM radio and he said, what was it? His famous line that he liked to say was, every man was a hero to his dog and no man was a hero to his valet. So it's the idea that like, you know, nobody just thinks like Hitler didn't think, hey, I'm an evil SOB. He thought I'm doing the right thing. Now we know he was an evil SOB, but the idea that you would write them as knowing that they're the devil, like, well, no pun intended given your book source, but, but like that to me never rang true. So if you could, even if they're not sympathetic, like when you explain the, the bad guy, it adds more to when they, their downfall, right? Like assuming the bad guys lose in your story, like it's more meaningful if you set it up better, you know? Uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and it is, it's just how you position them and you have to be mindful of that journey. Cause you're right. There is room for the straight up, you know, I'm evil and this is how I'm going to be. And we're good with that because it balances out the characters. But if you're going to have your good, your protagonist or your good guy, um, go through that hero's journey you have to have some type of, as a word you mentioned earlier, balance to have the other characters go on that journey or else it's just, it becomes a little predictable, I think. Yeah. So let's uh, look at a sneak peek behind the curtain to see how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from Dominature that, you know, even if you used them in later books, that would make an entertaining story? So all the good stuff made it in, I'll give you that. Um, but the things I took out, I found it interesting, but I realized the reader might not because it wasn't really moving the uh, story forward is since I did the alt history stuff, I tried to give some, some educational back, uh, back hit story, I guess, if you will, about those times. Um, and then I, sometimes I caught myself writing three pages to open a chapter all about like say the han dynasty and as like these people are reading an urban fantasy book um and i'm giving them i'm writing a textbook now and i was like i can't use that even though i'm fascinated by like you know i could sit on wikipedia all day and read about a time period um that happened especially when i might write about and you know switch around some things so I had to just cut out some of that educational stuff, um, backstory stuff about the times, you know, Roman Empire. Um, you know, there's a, I left in a chat, I had a whole chapter about uh, Horace, the, the poet, right? But, and Horace is still in the book, but I took away a lot of the stuff he did because I'm like, yeah, I can just sum it up and just keep it on the main characters. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to get too, confuse the reader with so much information about a character that might only just be a side player. Right. So I just had to cut right. some history stuff out. That's about it. Um, all the good stuff that I didn't, I mean, I kept, I didn't, anything I felt was like action and, um, it made sense like, you know, battle scenes and stuff like that. I left all that stuff in. I just buy like tight battle scenes. I, I'm kind of like, you know, I think Tolkien 
wrote some a lot of quick battle scenes and i think peter jackson was kind of loyal to that in some respects in his movies because it, it just resonates more right um you know obviously a final battle you know it should go a little longer but um i kept things tight and if i did need to expand on the the fun stuff where people like to read in the urban fantasy i just took out the history crap uh, that was the only thing that's on the editing floor if you will Okay, so this novel is set in Earth as we know it. Obviously, it's alt history, so there are going to be some changes. So, how do you decide? Like, how did you decide what to change and what to keep? Uh, well, I re once I realized it's going to be a trilogy, I was able to just tease some things, and you know. Easter eggs like I can mention like one character in the modern time would be telling about, you know, they'd be talking about something that happened in World War II, uh, for example. And it's just a little, you know, a little part of the dialogue and chapter. But I know that's going to be a bigger piece in the second book where we might explore what really happened there because it's, um, it's you know, it's a tease like something big and you know, impactful happen, but you don't need to know about it in the story of the present, but you might go back and we might just explore it, right? It's kind of just world building. Um, so stuff like that. Uh, but mo most of it, like, you know, you just pick and choose, like, what's interesting. Sometimes I thought Napoleon, this, I have nothing about Napoleon in this book, but I was reading about everything that Napoleon did. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't fit. There's nothing here that I could really use or manipulate, even though you can just do whatever you want, but it really didn't fit. It was, it felt like a force. So I don't, I didn't worry about Napoleon. You know, I might tackle, I don't want to give too much away for the second book, but like I tackle some key moments of how, you know, explorers might've came to this, this country um, that we live in now and what really happened using the divine characters that I created, the supernatural beings. So I think it's just map, knowing your plan. You got to know where you're going and mapping it out. And uh, believe it or not, the second book is a really, and I said this, I think, earlier maybe, but that's truly going to be an alt-history book. Um, this is all history, obviously, but a lot of it's a fresh take at, uh, once you get past the halfway point of the story. Okay. So Diminature is clearly part of a series. You mentioned that there are three books out in this, this arc, um, but will their story be done after that? Or are you going to do other um, trilogies, series, whatever in this world that you've created? I love it. You said, and I get it. It's, it's a word no one's ever said, but you said Diminature. The only other person that says Diminature is my 92 year old grandmother who saw this book. She goes, uh, she's like, oh, Joe, let me see your book. And she's like, Dominature. And I was like, <laughs> I go, I can understand how somebody could read that. But um, it's dominature. And it, it came from two words, basically. Dominant and nature, obviously. And it, I put that together. But uh, to answer your question, it's going to be three books. Um the Magna book is kind of like a, think of it as like a trailer book into the series. Um, some might say it's like a little bit of a prequel. 
and it, and it might, but so three main books. So, because I don't think the story needs much more than that. Now I say that if this po series gets popular and people say, Hey, I really want you to explore, you know, this section, like kind of like TV does, right? Like they'll do a series and they'll have an offshoot of about a certain time period. I could see maybe exploring that. I don't think I would want to, cause I don't like, 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 you know, the walking dead, for instance, that show was just on way too long. And then they had like what, two or three spinoffs and it's just too much. Like, I don't think it, it might've made them some money and the ratings might've been okay, but it just dragged out the story and watered it down. And it just kind of took the oomph out of what the walking dead was. And I don't want that to happen. Like I love shows that end like stranger things is ending. I think at a perfect time, uh, they're not forcing it maybe one season too long, but that's about it. Uh, Cobra Kai, another, if you watch that show, like they are on their last season succession like they are like hey we only need four seasons that's it uh even though it's like one of the most highly rated shows they just know like this is the time to get out and i'm a big believer in that so i think it'll be three books long-winded answer and then uh we'll see if i where i go from there okay so we know that every literary universe at least the good ones have their own internally consistent rules of science technology and magic so what sort of tech or magic can we expect from these books Mostly, I would imagine the tech is going to be on par with what we got. So what about magic? Uh, yeah, you're pretty much right about the tech. Um, it's not going to be too too different. The magic, ooh, I mean, I kind of hinted at it. Like one of the power that they have is kind of manipulating the natural elements they created, right? So imagine you can just kind of go walk up to a, I don't know, you can go walk up to a giant mountain and then just shape shift it any way you want it to be. Uh, I don't know how much fun that would be. I guess if you're an artist, it could be cool. I'm not really into art. Mount, <laughs> Mount Rushmore, anyone? <laughs> well, yeah, right. You could do that or you could re you could redo it however you want. But uh, I guess that'd be the one power be kind of I don't know how useful it would be. <laughs> that's what like can you think like say you can manipulate any natural element um you know basically soil water uh the weather i mean my right? my plants might actually survive so you oh, can okay. see it creating using oh. it to create food i have like a black thumb i garden every year this will be year four that i've tried gardening it'll be year four probably that nothing survives um but eh, i mean i keep trying because it's a useful skill to have if things get bad so for me, it's mostly an exercise in learning skills. And I'm outside while I'm puttering around. So that's a that's a win. Um, let's see. Uh, you could, if you could manipulate the elements, you could clean up the the people that, oh, I hate people that pollute. But like all the trash you see if you walk by our internal waterways, it just drives me bonkers. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I could see using it like, you're like for environmental reasons, I could see. Yep. All yeah. The uh like i don't know there are um certain buildings that might have politicians we all love to hate <laughs> um, for insert party here because i don't get political and i tend not to like any of them but i mean it, it, we could just wall off all the political capitals and then just the rest of us could have good lives that would be nice just a rock dome dc gone richmond gone insert your state capital gone then we can all just live normal lives 
<laughs> I love how you took out. Which is probably idealistic. You took out. It's Richmond, probably idealistic. It. Well, Richmond is the state because I'm in Virginia, so like you know, insert your state capital. But like, we'd probably just recreate the system that we hate right now anyway, so it wouldn't make much difference for long power vacuums and all. But but yeah, like I could I could see that or, um, you know, bringing water to to places. Although there's places um, I want to say it was Haiti, but there's one of the places. That they were, t- I was, I saw a video about it, but they're talking about the ocean is spreading and one of the continents is splitting. I want to say it's Africa is developing a new ocean. They were speculating, but that's also it's YouTube. So how real is it? I don't know, but yeah, I, I could see like natural, like earth healing applications. Yeah, I can't think of a way to really yeah. abuse it without just being evil and like walling in people we don't like. No, that's where I, my mind went first saying like. I was just thinking from a selfish point of view, like how would I use this to benefit me? And then I was, but all the things you said about the positives, I'm like, oh yeah, you could clean up the world. You could make this more environmentally safe. Uh, but I was like, selfishly, you know, look, hey, look at this. I can move the water. Um, I can shift Antarctica. I don't know. I mean, like, um, I, I, I really don't see like a fun I don't see the fun part other than the helpful part, I guess. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it could have, you could have a lot of fun, but like there were, um, there were some poets that wrote about, I think it was Telltale Heart where they like, they walled the guy they didn't like in. So like, there's, there's definitely evil applications too. There's a reason I don't write horror. Because <laughs> you know, I don't have all the all the horrific ideas. But speaking of, you mentioned that your universe has obviously the god and the devil and some angelic and demonic creatures. So how did you go about creating those? Because you said you didn't just use the Bible directly, right? Like you added your own spin on everything. So did you make things up out of whole cloth? Did you let your nightmares inspire you, Mother Nature? Like how did you go about creating these, these um, beings? The biggest risk I took with that because I knew it would be challenges. Like if you're going to create divine, I hate when, uh, I shouldn't say hate. I don't, I'm not a fan of when people take, you know, larger than life characters or different species and they just talk like a human. And I get, we know what we know and we consume how we consume things. And, but I was like, all right, I want to make these divine beings different. And I started with like, all right, in a book, what can I do? What's the biggest thing I can do besides describing them? Uh, And I just said, let's have them talk differently in terms of their syntax. And that's a little jarring when you open the first chapter and you meet some of these beings and they have names you never heard of before. And they talk in a different syntax. Uh, And I'll say it's kind of like a, like a little Yoda meets Shakespearean English uh, to in certain spots. But I was like, I want to make them different and not just, you know, I said, and like, you know, physically you can do some things, but they're going to interact with the humankind species. So I have to make them somewhat realistic to humans um, to help with the interactions of the characters and how they move around civilization. But in the end, it's like, just use the words. And that's kind of how I did it. And obviously I gave him powers, but um, 
I just it, it's what I've been told like once you get past chapter four, you get used to it and uh, then just rolls because I tr eventually drop it because as as the story evolves through time, so do the way uh, people behave and the way people talk. So they naturally adapt to talking more like we do. So one of the things I do, because you're right, that, that the alien like language and syntax is affected by culture and culture is affected by language and syntax. So what I do when I write is I do the language loop. So I'll find free language translators uh, and I'll go from English to another language, from that language to a third language. And then the more complex I want it, sometimes I'll add a fourth. And then I translate the fourth, third or fourth back into English. And I'll just bookmark what sites I used for each conversion for dialogue. And you end up with something that's reasonably close to English enough that people can understand what you're saying, but it just reads off. And so I find that that works. But the trick is you have to bookmark all of your, your not just your language hops, but what program you use if you want it to be consistent. Um, but that, that's okay. how I do it. I think that works. Readers notice, I think, if they're too much, if it's just too much like, oh, you know, English, like, why do all of them sound like they're from Britain? You know, when, why do all alien planets look like Canada? Like, it's one of those things that's, it's become almost a joke. And I try to avoid that too. So I, I feel your pain. I'm trying to make the language different. Yeah, it's risky, so. but I, I prefer to just go for it and be and make it stand out even if it's painful for some people yeah but i mean it's one of those things if you didn't do it they would notice that too yep so um so clearly this interview is winding down but before we wrap this up was there anything about dominature that we didn't ask you um that you want to tell us about oh you know that's a really good question to ask it's very uh courteous but no i think we we explored a lot um about it and you know my i i enjoy the chat and i do just like people to just give it a look i mean i think i think you you said it again i think we said this a few times like hey you said this earlier but um to be to be new in this world in terms of author life right even though i have a storytelling background and found some success in storytelling just on a different uh, platform in tv i like how people can go to my website and download the free e-magnet um, and get a sense of what my style is and i i'm fine being judged on that obviously you want the sale of the book but i rather somebody at least read you know when you tell them hey it's only 40 pages people are more likely to read that and then jump in to your books right so I guess it's just reinforcing that. And I know you'll probably do that on whenever you post this. But other than that, with, within the story, we covered everything. You, you had some good questions. And um, hell, they've listened to us for 90 minutes. <laughs> they better get something out of this. So let's refresh everyone's memory. So it's obviously it's on Amazon. So you've got paperback and ebook. And you said audiobook will be coming? Audiobook's done. It's out there. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's, uh, regardless of how you consume your content, it's available for you, dear listener. So, so go buy it. Uh, and before we let you go, dear listener, we'd like to harken back to our roots as the sci-fi shenanigans and remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And this is especially true for new readers who are trying to tweak the algorithm so people can find their, uh, 
their passion projects. So, so do your part, people. It really does help. Um, and remember, when you're writing those reviews, mostly you're writing for other readers. Like the authors sometimes read them, sometimes not. But, but realistically, you're talking as one reader to another when you write those reviews. So, so they really do help. With that being said, Joe, can you tell listeners and viewers how they can find you? And as usual, it will be linked in the show notes. Yep. I think the easiest way to find me is go to joebelcastro.com. That will get you to, as I mentioned, the free magnet book, but also where I'm selling on Amazon. And there'll be links to my Facebook group page. And if you want to do social media, which I, as we all know, I'm not a big fan of, um, but I am on Instagram and Twitter and all that fun stuff. So, and I'm active on it. I'm not just getting it. I'm actually trying to embrace it. So, but Joe Bell Castro is a great place to stop. Um, JoeBellCastro.com that is. And then my book is exclusively on Amazon, audio, ebook, and paperback. Outstanding. You can find us, dear listener, over at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we have a facebook page that exists and you can like and follow it and we encourage you to do so it does not yet have its dedicated url we will nag doc until she gets on that but she's been busy you know doing the whole mom thing not dying from allergy season georgia's a pain in the butt this time of year i'm told uh the pollen flows like rivers and uh yeah it's a nasty nasty thing we have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you could support the podcast and help keep the lights on these shows aren't free to produce and every penny helps and we appreciate it sincerely when you throw a few uh through pennies our way you can also support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts doc seska and nick garber duly caffeinated they will drink until their eyes pop their heart explodes and their liver dances a jig yeah maybe i should practice that one i was a little bit of a tongue twister people but thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for nick garber and doc seska i am jr hanley and this was the blasters and blades podcast we'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture cheesy jokes and all things that go boom and with that being said uh joe thank you for coming on the show uh pleasure thank you for chatting with me and i enjoyed it